Good morning, Christ Central. It's so good to have you here today, as well as those of you who are watching online. Today's sermon's title is Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, from Luke chapter 6, verse 1 through 11. And so I will read the text for us. Verse 1. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of the grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him, to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here, and he arose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, would you have mercy upon me, a sinner, as I share your heart with your people. May you have mercy upon all those listening that our hearts would become tender to your word, that in our repentance would be a joy that we're turning to you and away from the idols of our heart. And may that bring revival to your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, Christ Central. We will continue to follow Jesus and watch and observe and let his life and love impact and transform how we live and how we love. So let's take a look at today's text. As we follow Jesus in the text, we can see two primary figures in relationship to their understanding of the Sabbath and how it is impacting their life and their shalom, their flourishing. The first figure we will look at are the Pharisees. They are the primary figures of religious influence over the Israelites. And they have the most say in the lives of God's people as their spiritual leaders. They are, in essence, the ones that people look to find their approval. And basically what they believe to be God's approval. They're approved by God. And the second figure that we will look at is Jesus. He is observed and seen as with suspicion, a carpenter sort of turned rabbi, a teacher with grassroots following that seemed to be challenging the Israelites' way of life. They're wondering who is this man who's stirring up things and questioning the laws that have been established for our people, the leadership of God's chosen people. 
And so we will look at the text through these three points. First, the law of the Sabbath. Second, the heart of the Sabbath. And third, the Lord of the Sabbath. So let's first look at how the Pharisees saw and observed the Sabbath, the law of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was to be holy and observed by all of God's people. God, after creation of all things, rested and commanded creation to follow in working hard for six days and resting on the seventh day to keep it holy and set apart. So the Sabbath is not an option, but commanded by God himself to observe for the sake of resting from our work, to connect with God, to not be distracted by anything else, but to seek him and the peace and the shalom that he is offering for our flourishing. But this command was never meant to restrict God's people from living out their primary calling as salt and light onto the world that still remain, to live and do all things for the good and the flourishing of our neighbors. Even the Westminster Confession of Faith speaks to this understanding. The Sabbath is then kept holy onto the Lord, when men, after a due preparing of their hearts and ordering of their common affairs beforehand, do not only observe a holy rest all the day from their own works, words, and thoughts about their worldly employments and recreation, but also are taken up the whole time in the public and private exercises of his worship and in the duties of necessity and mercy. From the text and historical context, we can quickly see that the Pharisees and religious leaders took this commandment very seriously. They also wanted others to take this commandment very seriously, so they were a sharp eye on everyone who claimed to be follower of God and God's people. They were placing others under the microscope of scrutiny about their faithfulness to live out the scriptures as they understood it, all in the name of protecting God's people to be set apart. For the Jewish people, the law of the Sabbath is so important that the Mishnah, the oral law of the Torah written down, dedicates an entire unit to listing what is not allowed in terms of activities on the Sabbath. Did you know that according to the detailed and specific list, there are 39 activities that are not allowed? The disciples actually went reaping, thrashing, winnowing, and preparing food. So for the disciples, they actually violated the law four times. In fact, in the Mishnah, there seemed to be an awareness of how tedious these 39 rules were, regulations were. And so even in the Mishnah, what we find is them writing, the rules about the Sabbath are as mountains hanging by a hair. For scripture is scanty and the rules many. So everyone was aware there were too many rules and they couldn't keep all of them. And yet the Pharisees did and they made sure everyone else would try to do the same. The issue at hand simply is about working on the Sabbath. How does a follower of Jesus relate to the established law and the traditions that grew out of it? In Judaism, Sabbath meals were prepared ahead of time to avoid this problem, following the precedence of manna in the wilderness for the Israelites. It showed one seriousness about their faith and love for God. If this was true of anyone who truly loved God and who took their faith seriously, how can Jesus, a rabbi, a teacher of the law, 
allow his disciples to go against the law of the Sabbath and to take it so lightly. So the natural conclusion made by the Pharisees would be that Jesus, who takes the Sabbath law so lightly, is in direct violation, must be a false teacher. To help us understand a modern equivalent in the Korean American church, it might be this. Someone might be looking at your spiritual life and say, how can anyone who takes their faith seriously not attend morning prayer? I remember when I first came to faith that I felt like I had to go to morning prayer because my youth pastor did and all the people who took their faith seriously did, and so I felt like I have to go. And for some reason, when I went, I felt like, oh, God loves me today. And when I left, I felt like, man, I'm walking with God. I went to morning prayer. And the reason that was given to me is that Jesus rose up early in the morning to seek the Father, so it is biblical. We have to realize that the Bible is both prescriptive and descriptive, and the difference is significant. Not all descriptions of the Bible are commanded for us to specifically obey, but rather a description of what actually happened, what Jesus did, not to be taken as a command for the believers. Of course, praying early in the morning before the day starts is a great discipline. We do it, we enjoy it, but we grow closer to God. But when we apply our personal conviction and apply it to all other Christians, and when we judge the spiritual faithfulness of others on their adherence to our personal one, that is when it becomes legalism. When we believe God loves us more because of our morning prayer attendance. The second story that is being brought together by Luke also finds the Pharisees following Jesus and his disciples on another Sabbath day to see if he's gonna break the Sabbath law again. In the second instance, it's not that all healings are not done on the Sabbath, but only ones that deal with life and death or circumcision. Thus, a midwife was allowed to assist childbirth because since circumcision could be done to sanctify one's life, how much more to give life? And so it was allowed. But the man with the crippled hand, shriveled up hand, his life was not in danger. And so this is why the Pharisees brought it up for questioning. In verse 8, it says Jesus knew their thoughts, their inner thoughts. Their thoughts to catch him and bring charges against him, to declare him a lawbreaker and a false teacher. And yet, he knew their thoughts and he did it anyway. Why? To be a rebel? Did Jesus want to be attacked? Did he say things in front of everyone so that people can hate him? Why be a rebel? Why bring it up? He could have just healed the next day or the day before. Why cause this uproar among the people of God and among the leaders of the church? He knew what was going to happen, what was in their hearts, and he did it anyway. What's so important? because Jesus did it out of love, love for his people. He couldn't leave them with this misunderstanding in their hearts of their relationship with their God. He is the only one, the true son, who understands the relationship with his father, the reason for the Sabbath. Here we see Jesus expose the heart beneath their piety. Their strict adherence to the law was covering over the needed heart work to identify their idols where their identity came from. In verse 11, it says, but they were filled with fury when Jesus challenged the laws. And they discussed with one another 
what they might do to Jesus. When your idols are challenged, you get a bunch of people to agree with you so that you can go forth and destroy whatever it is that goes against your beliefs. So when we see anger, a heightened emotion, we know that a sense of identity and worth was being touched. What is so important that these religious leaders and shepherds of God's people are willing to let a hurting brother remain in a crippled state? Why can't they be happy for the man with a shriveled hand and be like, yes, God brought healing? Why? Why are they so angry? Because Jesus was pointing to the Pharisees' identity. What have they tied their worth to? Their adherence to the law was tied to their livelihood, tied to the social circle and the privilege that they had been given. All sense of their identity and their joy was tied into the law and their keeping of it because they were doing it better than other people. So we can see that their anger and suspicion and willingness to use all their resources to destroy Jesus in this upheaval and rebellion would be something that they needed to do. It shows that these two moments were showing the idolatry, idolatry within their soul. Jesus had touched something that they placed above God. And their adherence to the laws, doing the right things, being holy and set apart by their performance was being challenged by Jesus. But we know that any identity that is not based on the finished work of Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, will destroy us in the long run because we will try to meet it and realize we fail. So Jesus decided to shake it up and expose it. So then we'll look at now the heart of the Sabbath. Jesus is going away from the law that they were identifying with and saying, here's the heart of the Sabbath. The passage's major interest is Jesus as a person, and his action actually gives us understanding of the heart of the law and the intent and design of the Sabbath. It was not to restrict one's ability to love people and meet their basic needs. D.A. Carson, the scholar, he says this, the point is that Sabbath is not to be a master over God's people, but the Sabbath is a service to them. Jesus, in his reply to the Pharisees, addressed them in their field of expertise to Scripture. And I feel like Jesus was being a little bit jabby with this. And he says this because you can only read this in the Greek. The particle ude expects a positive reply. He knows that they know the law. He knows what happened with David, but he asks anyway. And he says, surely you have read, have you not, about David? Jesus knew that the Pharisees were familiar with the biblical account of David. He's their hero, the type that will eventually be fully fulfilled in the coming Messiah. He was rebuking them using the account from 1 Samuel chapter 21. They knew the story and the details, and they were trying to live it out, but they missed the heart of the story. David went into the tabernacle, he and his men, and they ate of the bread of presence, which was restricted only to the priest. The 12 loaves sat on a table in the holy place meant only for the priest. Bach in his commentary says this, the explicit point is made that what David did was not lawful. By law, only the priests had the right to the bread. Jesus is talking about more than Pharisaic tradition here. The issue of what is permitted makes this a legal dispute. 
The letter of the law was not followed by David. So does Jesus' remark challenge the scope of the law's application? Is he arguing that the law was never intended to be interpreted? So literally, that compassion was excluded in a situation of basic need like David's? Jesus knows the law's limits. And his remark shows him to be interpreting the force, the intent, and the limits of the law. In effect, the argument basically becomes from Jesus. If you condemn my disciples on this, you also condemn David and his men. And Jesus places the officials basically in a dilemma. The Pharisees and the teachers are like, "Uh uh-oh, if we condemn Jesus and his men, we condemn David and his men. The Pharisees' problem is that the biblical text does not question David's action in the Old Testament, and neither did the priests who were with them in the moment, the scene of the crime. Do the officials want to challenge David? He's the hero. He's the one that the Messiah who comes after would be like. They wanted the time to be restored when David was king, when they ruled, when they feared nothing, when they weren't oppressed. And Jesus was getting to the heart. Why are you up in arms about what my disciples did? Is it really about the law? He wanted them to see that their heart was twisted up by self-righteousness and legalism. They wanted to sustain their power and privilege to control and dictate how others live because they could remain in power as long as nothing shook it up. The sins of others had become planks and their own sins like dust. In the second example, Jesus gets to the heart of the Sabbath by exposing the heart of the Pharisees that they were not aligned with the heart of the Sabbath. He knew their thoughts and he said to the man, come and stand here. And Jesus said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or destroy? What is at the heart of the Sabbath? You see, the heart of the law is God's heart that is for the flourishing of his creation, especially those created in his image. In the exact same way, the Sabbath law is meant for the flourishing of God's image bearers, not for the sake of its observance to secure our worth and our piety and performance. The action of David, though technically illegal, was designed to meet a fundamental need for people and their flourishing for his men and for David. The law is to serve the people, not master over them. At the heart of the law, divine or human, is for the flourishing of God's people, all people, all created in the image of God. And so when the law limits the helping and the flourishing of a person, one has to see that the heart of the law actually doesn't say that, but it promotes even the breaking of it, as we see here in Jesus. Jesus isn't just breaking the law flippantly. There is an intentional purpose for his action. The commentary said to do such an act on the Sabbath is morally evaluated as doing good. It is the natural expression of operating in the principle of the law of love. Jesus turns to show them that God approves of this understanding. If God did not approve of this understanding of the Sabbath, when Jesus calls up the man with the shriveled hand, would God heal him? No. 
If it was fundamentally against, and Jesus is the Son of God, and Jesus, knowing, would call that hand to be healed, it wouldn't, but he does. And we see that when his hand is healed, that God is approving of what Jesus understood to be what could be done on the Sabbath for the good and the flourishing of that man on that day. So at the heart of observing our Sabbath must be doing all things that allow us to enjoy God and to love others and to do all things for the flourishing of our neighbors as well as our family and to ourselves. It is not for judging other people's actions during the Sabbath. That is not the calling from God. We must not be like the Pharisees to use the letter of the law to destroy the heart of the law to be so fueled by our adherence to what we believe that we, we go against the heart of God for the flourishing of his people. We, not, we cannot be fueled by hate on the Sabbath when it is meant for love and actions of good. And lastly, how Jesus brings all of this together. Jesus in verse five says to them, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. There are clearly messianic references embedded throughout Luke's version of these events. First, Jesus references David, the type, the most beloved king figure, and the likes of whom people are awaiting, and so he mentions him. They fondly remember the glorious days of his reign, and they want someone who is more powerful, more kingly, more priestly, who's going to come and restore God's people to all of their glory. So Jesus brings into mind again the one that, Jesus, that all of Israel is waiting for. Then he finishes his encounter with the Pharisees and uses a messianic title, the Son of Man. In the Greek, you can see the emphasis, Lord is of the Sabbath, the Son of Man. Jesus himself is Lord. He is not only the Messiah, a figure of deliverance like David, but far greater than what anyone hoped or imagined. Jesus, because he is God and the Messiah, not only will deliver us, but in every way he is our shalom from all work and performance. Do you understand that our Sabbath is not just keeping and not staying away from certain things, but he, Jesus, alone in his finished work, his life, death, and resurrection is our shalom and rest. We finally get to rest from trying to perform to earn God's favor and love. Jesus lived the life we couldn't, and he died the death that we deserve so that now we have shalom from now until eternity. He is our Sabbath rest. In him we find yes to all the promises of God. He is our true Sabbath. He is our perfect shalom. And because the Sabbath is no longer about obedience, performance, adherence to the law, Jesus, the Lord of all creation, sustainer of all life, says now live it out, do good. So we find Jesus saying, the rest that we so long for is found in him. So why can we not now live for the flourishing of other people? We can never truly find rest from our work apart from the one whose perfect work grants those of us who have failed at every turn 
to find our rest in him. He alone is our Sabbath rest. Though we should fear retribution, punishment, rejection, instead God gives us favor, love, rest, and life eternal. So what? Knowing that Christ is our true Sabbath, knowing that we are meant to do flourishing, what must we do? First, if any of you are missing this peace and rest offered by God in this broken world, I want to offer you a time to respond to Christ's invitation to receive the peace of God which transcends all understanding. If you have been seeking and searching, this is the peace that you have been looking for, the flourishing, the peace only made possible by his death, life, and resurrection. Can I ask you to pray and ask Christ to come and meet with you by faith to give you that peace that you long for. Second, for those of us who know this peace in Christ and yet we're still struggling with our identity, it's still married to our adherence to the letter of the law, can I ask you to think Dig, let the scripture and what we just heard about what Jesus did and how he challenged the law and the Pharisees, can you let that shower over your heart? Jesus knew the sorrow of the man with the crippled hand, what he was facing day to day. No one had to explain to Jesus that this broken world before him that was overwhelming this man's life was not the way that it's supposed to be. He created it, he knew. That's why often you heard him sigh over the broken things. This is why he was here to show them a glimpse of the great reversal and the redemption through his arrival. That all things starting with his entrance will now be made new. So he chooses to heal the man's hand to show a glimpse of the glory to come when we'll all be renewed. We are first and foremost called to know and hear the pain and sorrow of those that are hurting so that we can begin to know the heart of God for his sheep in this broken and messy world. Then we are to move to action to do good in the lives of those hurting, even if it means examining our longtime convictions about the letters of the law or what we have been doing to do to feel like we are obeying God, but to look deeper to see if we're understanding the heart of God and the intention for that law. Right now, believers are trying to remain tied to a certain political party, Democrat or Republican. We're not here to tell you how to vote. You have to vote your conscience. But Jesus is asking us to look at our hearts to see if our beliefs have gone beyond the heart of God's law. He was actually addressing the Pharisees. How can you look past a dear brother who has been, is now, and will continue to hurt without Jesus' action and want him to remain there? Jesus was asking, you see him broken. This is not what was meant to be and how can you want him to remain there so that you can keep to the things that you believe? How can you not let me search your heart and to know what I meant by the Sabbath that I 
and the one who provides the peace. My friend, who is a pastor of a large evangelical church, witnessed one of the pastors at his church come up to pray in front of the congregation and all those who were watching. And he led them in a prayer because it was during that time that Ahmad Aubrey was killed. And so he prayed and led the church in prayer for the family of those who lost Ahmad Aubrey. And after that prayer, he received so many emails. He didn't say anything about Black Lives Matter. He didn't say anything about what we need to do as a church. He literally got up and prayed for their family that they would know God's peace and his presence during their deep sorrow and grief. People not only wrote angry emails, but they literally left the church because of that prayer. Praying for the family members who had just lost their son, brother, and uncle. All over ideologies and allegiances. And so Jesus was saying to the Pharisees and everyone who was listening, you have focused so much on the letter of the law that has become so much of your personal identity that you feel threatened by what I'm asking you to see, that the heart of the Sabbath is to do good for the flourishing and the good of not only you, but all those that I have created. So dear brothers and sisters, I wonder how many times we have felt threatened about our religious convictions in trying to obey the letter of the law and we've missed the heart of the law. And so now our understanding of God's love and approval is based on our performance and not the finished work of Christ. So can I ask everyone who's watching, everyone who is here, can we go to Christ and ask him to grant us the tender heart to see God's heart about the law and about teachings of God? Let us pray. Dear God, it's hard what you said to the Pharisees because oftentimes I look back and what I thought was right in my beliefs. And to repent and to change, it's so difficult. But we ask, Lord God, by your grace and your mercy, will you bring tenderness to our heart that we would see your heart of all the laws, including the one about Sabbath, that it is meant for us to be draw, drawn near to you, to know and see you, and then to love our neighbors as you have loved us. And so we thank you for your truth. We pray all of this in your holy name.